The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The following podcast is equivalent to a TVMA rating, thanks to the author's strong and frequent use of adult language and graphic recollection of her sexual escapades. We strongly advise listening alone or with an extremely open-minded, politically incorrect companion, such as a gay bestie. Welcome to How Bitches Are Made, the podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Melvin. Thanks for joining us, guys. If this is your first listen, be sure to check out our introductory mini-sode, which gives you a brief overview of this podcast and introduces you to the cycle of how a bitch is made. If you're a returning listener, welcome back, bitch. Let's continue on our journey, shall we? With this week's story. The following is a true story, as sad as that is for me to admit. Names have been changed to protect both the innocent and the anything but. Chapter 2. The First Bitch I Ever Met Growing up, I loved my mother. About as much as I feared her. Being on the receiving end of her anger and frustration was rough, and I felt poorly for anyone unlucky enough to find themselves in that position. It was like being caught outside during a 5F tornado you never saw coming. All you could do was hide, freeze, or lock yourself up in an underground room, hoping the storm wouldn't find and destroy you as it passed through. Anytime she lost items she just had, like her keys or her sunglasses, she would declare them gone forever in a panicked scream after having only searched for a mere 60 seconds. It was how she passively aggressively asked us to start a search party and help her locate them right away. If we conducted any sort of investigative questioning we thought might help us in our search beforehand, it was met with supreme irritation and a threatening glare. For instance, Where did you have them last, Mom? If I knew, I would have them, wouldn't I? She was like a snake, hissing just before it was about to strike. The words always managed to escape her mouth despite her jaw ever moving a muscle. It made it hard to want to help her but you were usually too afraid about what might happen to her, you, or the house, if you didn't. I usually trailed behind her as she tore it apart, returning cushions to the disheveled sofa and giving areas she had just ransacked a quick scan before returning things back to their place. 10 to 12 minutes later, she'd announced she'd found the glasses. They had been on her head. When it came to driving with my mother, you needed an emotional seatbelt, in addition to the physical one you were hopefully already wearing as well. She'd weave in and out of traffic, interrupting the Ace of Bass lyrics playing over the tape deck, ironically informing us that Lynn Berggren saw the sign. While my mother screamed at commuters, she felt happy. Go, you mother In our vehicles, airbags were there strictly to cushion the impact of words. Words like peckerhead, dickhead, dildo, douchebag, asshole. Fuckface. 
In reality, any word or combo of words pertaining to the genitalia commonly flew out of my mother's mouth, thereby providing the real soundtrack for our drive to elementary school. Once automated systems started replacing real-life humans on the telephone, that's when my mother truly shined. Please provide the 10-digit number associated with your account. I don't have it. I'm sorry. I didn't get that. Please provide the 10-digit number associated with your account. If you don't have it... I don't have it! I'm sorry. I'm having some trouble... Customer service! Okay. You want to speak to a customer service representative. In order to get you to the person who can help, please tell me the reason for your call. Give me a human, motherfucker! Holding the receiver five inches from her flushed face, she'd furiously slam her finger on the same numerical button prompt. It really warms my heart nowadays whenever I find myself waiting for a customer service rep to pick up and unflag my account for fraudulent activity. Suffice it to say, if you had ever run into my mother during a meltdown or witnessed any of this behavior firsthand, you'd likely write her off as, and or call her, a bitch. A lot of people did. But we knew she was simply misunderstood because of what the average person couldn't know or see. To them, she was disgruntled, reckless, miserable, and irate. But to those of us who knew her, she was merely a prisoner of her circumstance. What circumstance am I referring to? Well, I'll tell you. According to all her friends and family, my mother was a different person before I met her. She was innocent, patient, well-mannered, and polite. She never swore, drank, did drugs, unless you count birth control, or had premarital sex. I'm not sure how much of that is true, given the birth control despite not having premarital sex inconsistency. I'm told that was only to alleviate bad period cramps, but come on. I'm pretty sure we've all used that one. Regardless, the consensus is that my mom was something of a straight and narrow. Perhaps it's clever PR spun by her friends for the influential benefit of her offspring. Sort of like how she told me at a young age, I was allergic to tobacco and nicotine, <coughs> so I would never dare try it. Or, considering how she acted after having mistakenly eaten an edible of mine for the first time, maybe it really is the truth. Nonetheless, the person my mother was painted to once be apparently died the first time she did. Maybe it was her family, my father, my older sister, or my firm grasp on her bladder and uterus, which I took with me down her birthing canal when she went into labor. That might also explain why I tend to hold on to things a little too long. Anyway, whatever the cause, about a month after I was born, my mother had a stroke. In a coma long enough to miss her own father's passing and his funeral, she was eventually pronounced dead herself at 27, only to be revived minutes later, albeit a completely different human being. Behind a partially shaved head and half-paralyzed face, my mother woke up a complete contrast to the woman she had been previously. The trauma had been on the right side of her brain, which, in case you are unfamiliar, is responsible for all the good, calming, creative stuff that balances us. With it damaged and even parts missing, she had no filter and was full of nothing but expletives, anger, and angst. Further damage included left side paralysis, loss of her left side peripheral, and long-term effects on her short-term memory and patience, which 
explained beating my dad with a shoe when my mom felt he wasn't tying them on her fast enough when they were getting ready to leave the hospital. Before sending my parents on their way, the doctor told my father two things. Because it could rupture the clot in her brain, she should avoid things like roller coasters, and the amount of stress she experiences should remain at the lowest possible level. With that, my dad moved our family out of Chicago to Phoenix, Arizona, where the only rides of any kind are on horseback, and our closest family was nearly 2,000 miles away. Presently, you'd never be able to tell my mother once suffered from a stroke. Unless you were to sneak up from behind her on her left side, like the bicyclist who once did, just before she turned into him with our minivan. Don't worry, he's fine. She's worked hard and been successful in regaining some of what the stroke stole from her, as well as having adapted to the few things she'll never get back. Like that aforementioned restricted eyesight. Nowadays, if ever she finds herself being impatient or forgetting things, she's quick to ask for help and reminds everyone with a laugh that, Hey, half my brain is sitting in a garbage can in a hospital someplace in Chicago. Give me a break. It's then I wonder how she was ever able to help me pass fractions in second grade math before offering her a Kit Kat. Though a part of her brain has definitely moved from the trash to the landfill by now, the best parts of her, including her heart, have always stayed right where they belonged with us, unscathed and growing stronger every day. What people might never care enough to stop and think about are the actual events in someone's life responsible for slapping them with a bitch label in the first place. If their experiences were known, understood, and met with empathy, perhaps the term itself would not exist, or at least not in the same way. I'm never offended by someone calling me a bitch. In fact, I'm flattered by something I've always considered to be a compliment. Perhaps the reason is because the first bitch I ever met, I knew to be as loving, passionate, and caring as she is strong, smart, and persistent. My mom was always fighting to overcome external obstacles that stood in her way or in the way of the family. And all of that was despite having to also overcome the internal obstacles of her readjusted brain neurons. If a woman with that kind of strength and endurance was described as a bitch, well then that was the kind of woman I wanted to be too. What up, bitches? I'm so excited that you're joining us for the second episode of How Bitches Are Made. This was called The First Bitch I Ever Met and was a lovely story about my mother. Um, (laughs) I hope you enjoyed getting to know her as much as I enjoyed growing up with her. (laughs) But seriously, my mom is the shit. She is one of the strongest, best women I've ever met in my life. I'm so close with her. I'm so fucking grateful for her and my dad being my parents. I'm so, so lucky. We're going to talk more about my mother and the example she set and the lessons she bestowed upon me and how her journey has influenced my own. But first, I just want to remind everyone that last week we talked about starting the journey to becoming a bitch. And we know that that begins with setting standards and knowing your boundaries and then implementing and enforcing those boundaries daily. It's a hard and constant practice, hence why I have this podcast in the first place. I definitely have boundaries myself now, but look, 
it is super, super hard to implement them, especially when sex is on the table. For me, that is always when my boundaries are like the hardest to implement. Not even sex, honestly, not even sex. And I'm not just saying this because that sounded bad, but relationships, love, my heart. It's just, it becomes really, really challenging. But part of implementing them is getting over our fears of how people will react or perceive us when we start to do so. And that's really what we're going to talk about this week. All the different um, perceptions and misconceptions surrounding the word bitch. How many times, ladies, have you been with your girlfriends, family, whoever, with somebody, where you're like, oh, I don't want to do this because they'll think I'm a bitch. I don't want to sound like a bitch, but Statements like that are what perpetuate the oppression that we find ourselves in when we're in that first stage of the bitch cycle. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. In a sense, because it keeps us from addressing our wants and needs. We either fear being emotional and clingy or cold and demanding. We're constantly kind of bouncing back and forth between these two ideas, these two extremes. God forbid there be anything that falls in the middle. One of my favorite things is you can't please everyone, so just please yourself. And again, to reference last week's episode, we are taught from the time we're tiny little girls that we should be pleasing everybody else. So it's time to unlearn that. It's time to start pleasing ourselves. It's time to start being a bitch and making other people see what a bitch actually is. It's not some stone-cold, miserable, bitter, jaded woman needing a dick in her vagina. No, I always joke, it's usually a girl that's annoyed because she's had so much dick in her vagina. Dicks cause so many problems and STDs, but they cause so many problems. It's not because we're not getting laid. (laughs) Um... Now, when I first started talking about how bitches are made on social media, I got a lot of backlash, particularly from men. Why are you calling yourself a bitch? Don't degrade yourself like that. Don't do this. Don't do that. I thought you were an example for my daughter. I am, motherfucker. Maybe you should actually explore the concept before you start criticizing it. So we are going to talk about what the word bitch means to us here at How Bitches Are Made and what we want other people to understand about it, how we want them to perceive it. To help us do that, here is my friend Steve Tom with a little lesson on the word bitch. Perhaps one of the most dynamic and complicated words in the English language today is the word bitch. Bitch, as do most words in the English language, derives from the German word bitche, which translates to female dog. Its original use for vulgarism dates back to the early 15th century, when it suggested high sexual desire in a woman, comparable to that of a dog in heat. Who says bitches are unfuckable? Only everyone who finds you threatening. When applied to a woman, bitch takes on encouraging, often ego-stroking meanings, such as malicious, 
overbearing, belligerent, and aggressive. When applied to a man, it still manages to play to the ego of a woman, implying compromised or impaired strength, a tendency to complain, emotional awareness or vulnerability, and an overall submissive nature. Don't let that confuse or discourage you, though. It's just society's silly little way of trying to perpetuate traditional gender roles. Nowadays, bitch can be used in almost any way you want, as a transitive verb, for instance. Surely bitched out John. An intransitive verb. Surely bitches. An adjective. Surely has a resting bitch face. It doesn't have to take on a negative connotation either, such as when used as a noun. John sure got himself a lot of bitches. Bitch can also be used as part of another word, as in the word ambitious. It has its own direction. Flip a bitch, we missed our turn. Merchandise. I think Shirley's running low on bitch fuel. And settings. John flipped Shirley's bitch switch. She's in bitch mode now. Today, bitch is more than just a bully word. It's a versatile part of our vocabulary that can be used to describe anyone and mean anything in any way you want it to. As in these examples. Describing flaky behavior. John really bitched out on us back there. Expressing frustration. Life's a real bitch sometimes. Detecting trouble in suspicious characters. I don't trust those bitches. And threatening someone in a confrontation. What did that bitch just say to me? Describing difficulty. I moved on her like a bitch, but I couldn't get there. Greeting a group of friends in a social setting. Namaste, bitches. Ending an argument. Bitch, please. Or empowering fierce and motivated women. Bitches get shit done. With all these multi-purpose applications and more, it's no wonder bitch has become far less insulting and far more bitchin'. We say, use this unique, flexible word more positively in your daily speech. Strip away negative connotations and encourage more women to say loudly and proudly, I'm one badass bitch, you bitches. Consistency is key. Stay bitchy, my friends. Thank you, Steve, for your help with that very, very fun little bit. So this is the thing, guys. Words only have as much power as you give them. And that's why it's so easy to take back the word bitch and use it as a term of empowerment, which is exactly what we're doing at How Bitches Are Made. A great way to think of the word bitch is an acronym, B-I-T-C-H, being in total control of herself. I realize there should also be like an O in there, but you know what I mean. Uh, That's ultimately what we're striving for, right, is having power and control over ourselves so that we can have power and control over our lives. There are so many different ways to take the power back. A really great example is Rebel Wilson's character of Fat Amy in Pitch Perfect, how she's like, oh, I call myself Fat Amy. And they were like, why? And she goes, so bitches like you don't call me that first. So you always beat people to the punch. This is the thing about bitch. Girls, women, we're always going to be called a bitch regardless. So we might as well like use it as a term of empowerment, right? We might as well take it as a compliment. Especially after hearing that video, there's really no reason to take it offensively. And here's the thing about offensiveness. You're only upset by something with which you agree. Otherwise, it rolls off your back. Here's an example. I cannot stand when people call me skinny. 
Because I agree. I sometimes, I think I'm too skinny. That's why those comments bother me. I can't just be like, oh my God, thank you so much. I'm more like, are you fucking kidding me? I want to stab you. Maybe not that violent, but you know what I'm saying. So you cannot be offended unless you're offensible. And that's really something you have to work out within you. If someone's calling you a bitch and you're pissed off about it, I, first of all, am very curious as to why, because at this point, I just, I literally can't understand how the word bitch is degrading. I remember the first time actually I was called a bitch. The first time I remember being called a bitch, my sister called me one and I was like, I beamed with pride. I was like, yeah, that's right. And I think it was because she called me a bitch in reference to telling her I wasn't going to do something for her. And I, I was just like, yeah, I, I stood up for myself. I know, right? I'm such a bitch. It was just, it was great. I loved the title. I still love the title. And I hope that you do too. Another really great example of someone taking the power back, particularly in reference to the term bitch, is this poet, Olivia Gatwood. She has this poem titled, Ode to My Resting Bitch Face. And I really, really want to share it with you. So guess what? That's what I'm going to fucking do. Here it is. So does everyone know what this term resting bitch face is? Okay. So that's a term coined by someone who was just generally unhappy with the fact that women aren't smiling literally all the time. So you're like sleeping and he's like, you have a bitch face. And you're like, I mean, I'm literally taking a nap. So I'm sorry. I don't know what. Uh, So I've been doing this thing lately where I write O's to things I think I'm supposed to feel ashamed of, which is largely how shame works. Um, We think we're supposed to feel it. We're told we're supposed to feel it about the way that we live and act and walk and and speak and dress and are. Um, And then we feel it because someone else told us to. It's not an organic feeling, really. So I've been writing odes to things like that to counteract that feeling. So this is an ode to my bitch face. You pink armor, lipstick rebel, steel cheek, slit mouth, head to the ground, mean girl. You headphones in, but no music. You house key turned blade. You quick step between street lights, strainer of pricks and chest beaters. Laughter is a foreign language to your dry ice tongue. Resting bitch face, they call you. But there is nothing restful about you. No, lips like a flat-lined heartbeat panic at the sight of you. Scream for their mothers, throat full of bees, head spun 360, exorcist bitch. Just trying to buy a soda, just trying to do your laundry, just trying to dance at the party, and then someone asks you to smile, and the blood begins to riot. Smile, and you chisel away at your own jaw. Smile, and you unleash the swarm into the mouth of a man who wants to swallow you whole. One theory is that you were born like this, but I don't believe it. You came out screaming and alive and look at you now. Look at how you've learned to hide your teeth. What's wrong with your face, bitch? Your face, bitch, what's wrong with it? Bitch face, I don't blame you for taking the iron pipe from their hands and branding yourself with it, for making a flag out of your body bag. Another theory is that you put it on every morning. Screw it tight like a jar of jelly, but I don't believe that either. You woke up like this and have been for years. How can you sleep pretty when there are four locks on the door and the fire escape feels like break-in bait? They will tell you home is safe zone. No, bitch face is safe zone. Bitch face is home. Bitch face is cutting off the ladder, willing to burn in the apartment if it means he can't get in. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. 
Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Every single time I hear that poem, my eyes fill with tears. Um, There's so many reasons why. Primarily because I think the one line that gets me every time is when she says, bitch face is home. Bitch face is safe zone because it's so true. I feel like there is, we talked about last week, there's an archetype that I created. There is a superhero costume or a, a, a thing of armor that we put on every single day in order to endure the shit that we have to deal with because we know what we've already had to deal with. And for me, the whole bitch thing really has become almost like this shield that I I don't want to say I hide behind it because I definitely don't hide behind it, but it it feels like, you know, my protective armor that makes me almost feel invincible. You know, I wear red lipstick a lot because that's my war paint. It highlights my mouth, my voice. All of our voices are our most powerful tool. And that's what's so crazy is so many women don't use their voice. I wear this war paint on my lips to remind me every day to use mine. And when I put it on, I feel so much more confident than the days I don't wear it. It's so crazy, but like whatever works. The other reason this poem gets me emotional is because she talks about subconsciously and consciously things women have to deal with every day and the biggest one being our safety I don't think that men understand what it's like to literally walk around every single day worrying about getting accosted or raped or groped or violated in any way physically on top of emotionally and all these other things so that gets me emotional and then of course there's just this sense of validation and connection and comfort I feel hearing her talk about everything that she's talking about because it means so much to me in relation to what I'm doing here on this podcast. The fourth reason is because when she says you're just trying to dance at the party and someone tells you to smile, that happened to me. And it was so fucking infuriating because I know that no one's going around being like, yo, bro, smile. Like, no one cares. No one cares what a guy's face is fucking doing. Like, it's really frustrating to have that pressure on. Like, you have to be smiling and happy and positive and upbeat all the time. Why? If I'm upset, this is the other thing. People might disagree with me on this, but I really believe this. When you're a child and something upsets you, you have a tantrum and you get over it because you expelled it. You expelled your feelings from out of your body. When you become an adult, you're taught to suppress those feelings and internalize them. And then that builds resentment. And then you end up like snapping at the smallest thing and going completely crazy because you've pent up all this aggression and resentment and anger. I'm a person, it doesn't help that I'm Irish and Italian, but I am a person where if I'm pissed off, I fucking act out. I get over it much quicker. And it it scares people. It's too intense. It's not typical. And that's how I deal with my anger. I got to get it out right away, just like we tell our children to. My blood did boil when this guy told me that. 
I was so pissed off. I was just like trying to have a good time. I happened to have a migraine at the time, but it was my sister's birthday. So like I was doing my best and then someone like comes up and says something like that to me. And as you'll hear in future stories, like people say unsolicited shit to me all the time, as I'm sure they do to you. And it, it, it baffles me why they think that that's okay. And the only sense I can make is that we as a society allow it because no one's using their voice to acknowledge it and put people in their place. Now, what's really funny is when I actually told my mom about this experience of this guy telling me to smile, she told me that I let it upset me too much which I just think is so funny. And this is a perfect segue into talking now about my mother and how this, her journey um, has helped shape my own. I was so concerned growing up that I was never going to have any friends and people weren't going to like me because my mom was so scary. She would scare people off or piss off people's parents. You know, she was still really trying to regain her brain, I guess, so to speak. She was trying to build up her patience and and not lash out but when you're a child and you don't really understand that this is the result of a medical issue you just think that that's how you're supposed to behave that's the example that's being set before you and I actually would not have had it any other way because I really did see this woman speaking out against wrongdoing actively without hesitation. She was just a force to be reckoned with. She got shit done. She got things handled. And that was the example that I always had. I don't know any other way. My mom really does embody the bitch archetype. And I embody it probably 75%. And what I still continue to struggle with is how to embody it in my relationships, my romantic relationships. Which doesn't make sense to me because I have such great parents who have a great relationship and they set forth a great example. For instance, the other day we were all in the swimming pool and I was in a mat and my dad was in a mat and my mom walks outside and my dad instantly is like, oh, Joyce, do you want a mat? And she's like, yes, I do. And so he gets off his mat, gives it to her and then goes and finds an inflatable mat and then proceeds to blow it up for himself. Now, that's what guys should do. Why do I feel bad about them doing that? Like in that moment, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe my mom just kicked her husband out of a mat and is now making this 63 year old man with diabetes blow up a pool mat in the blazing hot sun. But then I'm like, what, is my mom going to do it? <laughs> like, No. And here I am, a child who probably should have just given up my mat to my dad. But I didn't do that either. So, hey, maybe maybe I should give myself more credit than I am. <laughs> Anyhow, um, they've set forth a really great example for me and they've bestowed a lot of things onto me. The one thing that I have oh, just didn't translate, though, was how I respect myself in relationships. That's something that I've really had to work on. As far as all the other stuff goes, dealing with the day in and day out and, you know, adulting, my mom totally prepared me. I definitely would not be the woman that I am today if it weren't for my mother. And I've often asked her, do you think that you would be the same woman you are today, a bitch, if you had not had the stroke? And she says yes. I always just wonder, though, because there were so many things, gifts, superpowers that she got from the stroke. Not having patience or a censor, you're immediately a bitch. Now, granted, everyone's fucking afraid of you, and that's not the kind of bitch we want to be. And she had to learn kind of how to rein that in. But she still got those tools from a higher power. 
And if she didn't have those tools for a higher power, I'm not sure that she would have been the same woman, the same wife, the same mother. And for that, I'm really lucky and grateful because she's given me a lot of street smarts and savviness and tools to make it through adulthood so far. Let's talk a little bit about a good bitch versus a bad bitch because there is a huge difference. So right now, if you're like me, you've noticed how many products are coming out that embrace being a bitch as a good thing. I was watching Shark Tank recently. Well, I guess it wasn't that recent, but I was watching Shark Tank and this woman had a line of teas called Snarky Tea. And one of the flavors was Fierce Bitch. And I was like, that's cool. I want that. Um, There's Bitchin' Hot Sauce. There's pins about being a bitch. There's memes online. There's GIFs. There's blogs. There's so many things that are really shaping the word bitch the same way I am. And that really, really excites me. But it can still be bad, and we need to know how to avoid coming off as the bad bitch, which is something that we're going to explore and dissect in next week's episode. So guess what? That's it for this one, you guys. Be sure to join us next week when we talk about the kind of bitch you never want to be. Stay up to date by visiting howbitchesaremade.com where you can also enjoy things like blog posts, transcripts from this episode, and references made during the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at howbitchesaremade, Facebook at howbitchesaremade, and on Twitter at HabamTweets. If you'd like to follow me personally as well, I'm at the Rachel Melvin across all platforms. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. Remember, consistency is key. Stay bitchy, my friends. How Bitches Are Made is written and produced by Rachel Melvin. 